0: This morning, I'd like for you to focus your attention with me for a few minutes on the idea of the sins of Saul. And by way of introduction, I want to ask a question. Have you ever been given a task and failed miserably? Has anyone, for instance, maybe in school while you were a a child and you were going through uh, some part of your training and You were given a task, and you were just told to do this and do it in such a way, and you just really, really messed it up. Some of you may or may not have. I have. And I know what it means to have failed and failed miserably. But the difference between someone who is a failure and someone who is a success is how one deals with the failures that you face. Do you build and you say, okay, I've learned from that. I won't make that same mistake again. And I'm going to try to listen better. Well, I'd suggest to you, life is all about choices and attitudes. And in reality, King Saul was a failure at both. King Saul made some terrible choices. King Saul was a man who frequently had a bad attitude and needed an attitude adjustment. You see, when the children of Israel had clamored and said, God, give us a king that we may be like the nations round about us, Samuel was deeply disturbed, and I believe God was even hurt. But what he did, he told Samuel, I want you to tell the people, What will happen when they get their king? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning with verse 9, he says, Now therefore, heed the voice of their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, and he will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some will make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants and your female servants and the finest of your young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be His servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. You see, God was trying to warn them that having a king was going to involve their having someone who would take the very best that they would have But this king also would not be a perfect person. And in fact, what I want us to think about for the next three Sundays is the failures of kings Saul, David, and Solomon. The three kings that were over the United Kingdom, the three kings that were held out as being the first leaders of God's people as a king and the failures and we'll see some distinctions david will be a man who in many ways will be a success but he had some terrible failures solomon will be a man who knew what to do but didn't always do it saul was the biggest of the, all three in failures now, as one prepares a lesson and you try to think about what you're going to cover and you start writing down the things that you're going to cover and you try to say, okay, I've got about 30 minutes to keep your attention and after that I'm, I'm pretty well lost it. I will tell you that this morning I have seven ideas and I do not believe that I will get through. And so don't panic if I am at number three And you look at your watch and you say, and he's got four more to go? Because that means that you'll probably have four tonight. But I do want to take some time to look at this. Because the characteristics, the sins that we see in the life of Saul are the same kind of problems that you and I face. And we have to deal with them in our own lives. So let's look at these seven, and the first one is going to be impatience. And so if you will, open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 8, and we'll jump over to chapter 13, and look at verses 8 through 14. You have to realize, after they had asked for a king, God had chosen Saul, the son of Kish, to be their anointed king. And Samuel is now ready to begin with King Saul to present him before the people, <clears throat> to have a coronation, if you will, so that everyone will know and recognize he was God's chosen leader of his people. In chapter 10 in verse 8, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, And surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Now, I want you to listen and think about, is that real difficult? You want to start out right. You want to start out serving the Lord. You want to offer the burnt offerings and the peace offerings It's as if you want to start out right, start out on God's side. When you come over to chapter 13, beginning with verse 8, Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said... Bring a burnt offering and a priest's offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the appointed days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, <clears throat> then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Listen carefully now. Therefore, I felt compelled And offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Imagine, this is the very first assignment that Saul is given. Go wait seven days, and I will come, and I will show you what we are supposed to do. We're going to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. What Saul does is Saul waits. I know he doesn't have a time dial or a sundial on his arm but he's got some sort of means of of calculating time and he says he ought to be here by now. He ought to be here by now. And as he begins to look he he begins to see the men of Israel scattering from him. Where's Samuel? Maybe Saul has taken this upon himself. And so... He commands the offerings to be brought and he offers them. What I think is interesting is that what happens is immediately after he finishes offering, there's Samuel. So he did come in the appointed time, just not exactly when Saul thought he should. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been impatient? When you were told to do something and uh, you tried to get ahead because you were not willing to wait. You see, when you start looking at this, not only did Saul sin, Saul lost his kingdom here. We often think later when we're going to talk about chapter 15 about the kingdom being torn away from him. But here it says in verse 14, The Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. Impatience can destroy us. Now, it's easy for a person to become impatient. I understand that. If you go to the Old Testament, back to the book of Exodus, to chapter 32 and verse 1, I want you to imagine... Here are the children of Israel encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up into the mountain to meet with God, and they're waiting at the foot of the mountain. And we read in chapter 32, verse 1, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. We need our own gods. Aaron, make us gods. We don't know what's happened to Moses. God has to send Moses down. These people, were impatient. Yes, the same God who led them through the Red Sea and delivered them from the Egyptian army, they're already so impatient. They're not willing to wait on God. When I go to Psalms chapter 37, verses 7 through 9, there's a statement there that I think perhaps is applicable to us. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of a man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You see, here's our problem. Frequently, we feel like God does not act as soon as we think He ought to act. We see wicked people around us. We see people doing well around us. And we feel like God ought to right all of the wrongs. Admit it to yourself. We feel like God ought to work on our timetable. And he does not. And so David says, wait patiently on the Lord. Those that wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Many times we feel like we're ready to help God and we do things without his authority, without his permission, without his encouragement. Because we feel like we sometimes know better than God. When Saul refused to do what God told him to do because he was impatient, he violated the commands of God. And you and I do as well. This past week, a good friend of mine who preaches in West Tennessee was fired. And the reason was because the church was not growing as the congregation there had hoped that it would grow. And, uh, you know, I'm fearful sometimes our brethren are short-sighted when it comes to church growth. They're short-sighted many times because they feel as if we are the ones who bring about church growth. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Sometimes you have people who preach the truth and preach it for a long time, and the hearts of those to whom they are preaching do not respond well. The Bible holds out for us, according to Peter, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And yet, the Bible tells us that there was few, that is, eight souls that were saved by water. Only eight? And yet, when I read the Bible and I read about the seed being the Word of God, Luke 8 and verse 11, I come down and I find out that even with good seed and good soil, here's what we find, with those who fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. With patience. We need to be the kind of people who are not forcing things to our own desires, but that we are patient and we do what God tells us to do. Number two, if you'll turn with me to chapter 14 of 1 Samuel. We're going to look about a foolish oath that Saul will make. During the study of 1 Samuel, you'll realize that one of the primary antagonists, one of the enemies, if you will, of God's people were the Philistines. Saul was worried so often about the Philistines. And when you get to chapter 14, it says the men of Israel were distressed that day because Saul had placed the people under an oath saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to the forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods and there was honey dripping, no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath, therefore he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand, dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance was brightened. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance is brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely of the spoil of their enemies, which they have found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And you say, well, that's not a big deal to make an oath, to to make a a charge of the people. But he didn't think about what he was saying. He didn't think about the consequences of what he had promised. For instance, might there be someone, as did his son, who would eat and not know about it? What are they going to do to him? And what about the, the charge, don't eat anything, when here they are, they have time to eat, and there's food that spoils that they can eat? But you go on to chapter 14, look at verses 38 and 39, and then 44 and 45. And now it's been observed that someone has eaten. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see that what sin this sin was today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. You see, when Saul says, I don't care who it is, even if it is my son, he's going to die. Uh-oh. It is his son. And now he's made a charge and he's, prescribed a punishment and he's saying my son if it's him is going to die. Verse 44 Saul answered God do so and more also for you shall surely die Jonathan. But the people said to Saul Shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not as the Lord lives. Not one of the hairs of his head shall fall to the ground. For he has worked a work with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan so that he did not die. You see, sometimes people make promises. They make oaths without thinking about the consequences. The things that are going to happen. Solomon warned about hasty and foolish vows. In Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 20, he puts it very simply. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Hasty. Say things without thinking. Last Sunday morning in the class downstairs, Brother Tim was teaching. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You see, God wants us to be slow to speak, to think about what we're saying before we say it. To make sure that when we're saying something, we know what we're talking about. But you see, here, Saul didn't think about that, he made a hasty and a foolish vow. In Ecclesiastes 5, 4 and 5, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Learn to think about promises before making them. Now let's talk about rebellion. If you go with me to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we could spend a considerable amount of time here, this is one of the great events in the life of Saul and among the children of Israel with regards to his leadership. And if you'll remember when the children of Israel were making their wandering journey toward the promised land, the Amalekites came out in their way. And God's going to judge the Amalekites for what they have done. If you go to chapter 15 and verse 3, it's stated very simply, Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now stop for just a moment. I want you to utterly destroy this people. God's going to wipe their name out of history. That's the only reason for the justification of of taking the children out. There's not going to be another generation that's going to arise. But what you find is when you get to verse 7, this is what Saul does. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and he utterly destroyed the people with the edge of the sword But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless they destroyed. Now let me ask you a question. You see in verse 3 what they were instructed to do. And you can see in verses 7 through 9 what they did or what Saul did. Did he do what God told him to do? And the answer is no. When you get to verses 17 through 23, Samuel has arrived. And just like the case back earlier in chapter 13, Samuel comes and Saul begins to make excuses Here's what Samuel says directed by God. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. Uh, Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of things, which have been, should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heathen the fat of rams. Now listen carefully to verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Saul's protesting. We did what God told us to do. And Saul is told, no, you didn't. You've been rebellious. You've been stubborn. Now, I want to draw attention to the fact that when you look at verse 17, he talks about, were you not at the beginning little in your own eyes? Were you not humble when you started out as king? In fact, if you read chapters 10 through 15 you'll see that Saul initially was a very timid, almost scared to assume the role of king. But now he has come to the point where he's turned to being arrogant. He's no longer looking at things as if this is God's people, this is God's battle, I'm doing God's work, to the point where he's looking at now I'm the one in charge and the people will do what I tell them to do. It was because of his pride that he did what he did. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. That's the undoing of many great men. When they begin to believe that I am in control instead of God in control. The truth is that partial obedience is no obedience at all. You see, here's the way Saul thought in his mind. If God tells me to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, and I destroy everything that's no good, but I keep what is valuable... That's still okay. In other words, those areas where God, what God has told me to do, I agree with Him. That's obedience. But in those areas where I don't agree with Him, that well, he'll, he'll let that slide. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that I can do this, 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 and this that God has commanded, and I cannot do this and this and this over here, and God will just let it all slide? the way saul thought i think that's why many christians think yet james 2 and verse 10 for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he's guilty of all when he didn't do what god told him to do completely he didn't do it at all god does not allow cherry picking of which commands to obey I can't go through the Bible and say, oh, I like this one, I like that one. But, oh, I don't want to do that one. And yet so many people have picked up that habit, that sin of Saul. I got through three, which is sort of what I expected. For just a moment, let's talk about what we're going to do with what we learn. Do we take what we learn from God's Word and allow it to make us different? I can see it in the life of Saul. I can see it in the life of David, and I can see it in the life of Solomon. Mistakes can be deadly. And rejection of God's commands can cost me my soul. you see, God has provided a means, a plan for us to be forgiven of our sins. How many of you have sinned? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God loves us to the point that He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. But you and I have to put on Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, for as many of you as have put on Christ, you know you've been baptized, you put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. He's talking about our becoming Christians. Because we believe. Verse twenty six, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And what we we need to realize is, is that God has offered this forgiveness through His Son, Jesus Christ. But I've got to come to Him humbly, believing, repenting, confessing that faith in Christ and being baptized. And that's where I am put into Christ. But you know, a lot of us have done that. A lot of us have Step back and we've we've actually turned our back on the Lord again. And as long as we've got life in our bodies, reasonableness of our minds, and an attitude that says, I've sinned and I want to be forgiven, God will accept us back if we repent. Maybe you've done some bad things. God's willing to accept you back if you'll come back in penitence. This morning, as we sing this invitation song, if you need to respond, please come while we stand together.